Thank you, Ken. Let's open our Bibles now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18, as we're making our way through Luke's Gospel. We, um, if you remember, we moved ahead of this text a little bit. I saved it for this morning, uh, knowing we've been having uh, baptisms this morning. Luke, chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 15 through 18. If you just notice the context, notice that immediately before our text, we have the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and immediately after our text, the story of the rich young ruler. All of these uh, texts are dealing with, how do you get into the kingdom of, of God? How do you enter it? Um, the, the Pharisee thinks he's in, clearly he's not. The, the publican who recognizes he has no right to it and has nothing to offer to God, he's the one that's received. And, and the rich young ruler is asking the very question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And um, Jesus calls him to faith and obedience and discipleship, and because he's wealthy, he uh, is unwilling to do that. So we're going to look at verses 15 through 18 and see that uh, entrance into the kingdom uh, is for those who come as little children, as babies, but that the, ch- the kingdom actually belongs to uh, babies, children, uh, covenant children. Let's see that, verses 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's ask the Lord blessing in his word. God in heaven, thank you that you speak in your word and give us ears then this morning to hear and to delight in um, your ways and your goodness And uh, Lord, may we see the wonder of Jesus again today. In his name we pray, amen. In 1864, there was a very controversial uh, sermon uh, preached in uh, London. Uh, It made the newspapers. Uh, There was a good deal of uproar about it. It was uh, preached by uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous uh, pastor and preacher at Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, It was um, based on this story in the Gospels, and and Spurgeon entitled his message, uh, Children Brought, brought to the Savior, not to the font, uh, not to the baptismal font, was his point. His emphasis in the sermon was to condemn the practice of uh, infant baptism and to denounce the common use of this text in support of that practice. And so um, let me just read very briefly from his, the intro to his sermon. He says, in handling this text in what I believe to be its true light, I shall commence, first of all, by observing that this text has not the shadow of a shade of a ghost of a connection with baptism. There is no line of connection so substantial as a spider's web between this incident and baptism, or at least my imagination is not vivid enough to conceive one. And that's just the beginning. It's, a, uh, it's an enjoyable read. Uh, He took particular aim at the Church of England, which uh, he believed was practicing baptismal regeneration, which is the idea that uh, baptism somehow enacts 
um, saving grace, that it's regenerative in some sense, bringing children into a state of salvation. And, and on that point, we fully agree with, with Spurgeon. Um, we do not believe that baptism regenerates an infant's heart or imparts saving grace in that sense. However, I am convinced... As much as I dislike disagreeing with Spurgeon, uh, I am convinced that this text actually is one of the clearest texts of God's covenant ways and the place covenant children have in the mind and the heart of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Spurgeon is correct in that this is not per se a text about baptism. However, it is precisely about the magnificent foundation upon which that practice stands because here we see the special love Jesus has for covenant children and the stern rebuke he has for those who would keep them from his covenant blessing. And so that's our text. You'll see if you have your outline before you this morning, we'll be first looking at the parents' desire and, and then the disciples' de debacle and then Jesus' um, stern rebuke of his disciples and then gospel application. First of all, then, notice uh, the parents' desire. Well, Matthew tells us in his account that, that a very large crowd had gathered around Jesus. And from out of that crowd, now parents were coming, some with small children, Luke says some were even with infants, and they're bringing them to Jesus. Why are they doing that? Well, the text tells us, verse 18, uh, that he might touch them. Uh, excuse me, verse 15, that he might uh, touch them. Uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel, it's uh, that he might uh, touch and pray for them. They are coming in, uh, what they want is Jesus to, to lay his hand on their child, to pray for their child, and thus bless their child. And we'll note that that's exactly what Jesus ends up doing. Their desires is to have the blessing of God rest upon uh, their child. Now, apparently these parents have come to believe that Jesus is not just another teacher. He is, uh, some are saying, a great prophet, some uh, suggesting maybe this is Elijah returned in, uh, in the flesh, and others uh, that uh, this is possibly even the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Whatever you might believe, uh, there was a conviction, a common conviction and agreement that Jesus is um, an especially blessed man of God, that Jesus speaks for God, that somehow in Jesus, God himself has come near, and these parents then want their children to be blessed by this special teacher. They want their children to be blessed by God. Uh, we, we find uh, in Scripture that a blessing is it's, it's a covenantal concept, uh, only covenant members in the scriptures receive the blessing of God. If you remember back in number six, Moses, uh, God tells Aaron and the priest to pronounce his blessing on the people. And God says, uh, in that act, God puts his name on them. It's, it's a very significant action. It's not just a well wish. It isn't a, um, just some kind words and a hopeful prayer for God's benevolence. You'll see today, you'll maybe read it in the newspaper or online, uh, where there will be blessing of the bikes. Doesn't exist in Scripture, obviously. Blessing of pets. 
Blessing of this, blessing of that. Well, we're talking about something in a completely different category. This is speech action. If you remember last week's sermon, a speech act of God. God's words accomplish what he, um, what he intends. And so uh, it, a blessing then imparts. A God in blessing places his name on his people. He affirms that he is their God and they are his people. He is present with the light of his face and the gift of his peace. See, and, and those are the realities for believing parents that that's what you want for your children. Of all the things you can think you hope for your children, isn't that at the very core of what you hope? You hope that they have a true covenanted relationship with a saving God. That's what these parents are hoping for. These are Jewish parents. They're not anything other than that. Uh, they are people who believe to the marrow of their bones that their children have a place in the covenant community, in God's covenant community. They, they recognize that their little child, their baby, is not there by accident. That they had, they had not been born, these children, in the midst of the covenant community by good fortune or happenstance, but that they were there according to the redemptive purpose of the God who knew them before the world was born and knit them together in that specific mother's womb. They were there in that community and in those covenant homes because God wanted them there. Malachi 2.15, where the prophets rebuking the Israelites, particularly the men, for their callous, wicked divorcing of their wives. And Malachi says, did he, God, not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. What was the command God gave to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. God, you see, has invested himself. He cares about children, and he places children into these covenant homes on purpose. They're not there by accident. They're there by the, by the sovereign plan and purpose of God. That means that the, the children we're going to baptize this morning, little Luke and Bobby and, and Scarlett, are, are not in these homes just by good fortune. Or by, the, by a husband's will. The, these, these children, these children are in these homes and in this body because that's what God desires. That's what he purposed. That's what he has accomplished. And so these, these parents now bring their, their gift from God. They bring them to Jesus to receive the blessing of God. Now, secondly, the disciples' debacle. Now they, that is the crowds, are bringing their infants that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So the disciples are there with Jesus. And they notice these parents trying to get to Jesus and, and taking their little children with them. And they react very strongly and negatively. The word rebuke is very strong. You, you can almost hear them, right, uh, sh shouting to people, get back. Get back. Leave him alone. 
We don't have time for this. Take your kids and get out of here. That's, what, that's what's going on. They are aggressively um, resisting the desire and the intent of these, these parents. Sinclair Ferguson, in wonderful sermon on this text, says they were acting less like apostles and more like bouncers, placing themselves between the children and Jesus. Now remember who these guys are. They're, in, they're young men. They're probably early 20s, maybe even late teens. And in their youthful enthusiasm and foolish pride, they take it upon themselves to protect Jesus, to keep Jesus from the annoyance of these parents and these noisy, smelly babies. Notice how clueless these guys are concerning their calling and Christ's heart. These are going to be the apostles. What is a, what's the job of an apostle? The job of an apostle is to announce the good news so that they can draw people to Jesus. That was the whole idea, to draw people to Christ, not drive them away. The disciples, you see, have become hinderers. Jesus says, do not hinder them. They are literally are blocking access to Jesus. That is the work of devils, not disciples. It's what the devil wants to do. Keep people from the Savior. And the disciples have joined him in that effort. Remember how serious this is. Jesus has just spoken a dire warning in chapter 17 about those who would hinder or put obstacles in the path of his little ones. And Jesus there in, in chapter 17 says, better a millstone be tied around your neck and dropped into the sea than that you would mislead or make one of you, the little ones of God stumble. So this is just flagrant, reprehensible violation of their calling. But secondly, it reveals a fundamental mistake, fundamental uh, misunderstanding of who Jesus actually is and his love for his covenant children. They assume that Jesus would not want to be bothered by children. Now, why would they think that? Well, part of it is culturally. Um, we know that uh, in, in those days, children were um, just, it was just a given. They are on the very lowest rung of the social ladder. Uh, they were to be seen and not heard. They um, have no standing whatsoever. And so um, they should not be allowed, these children, to interfere with important adult business. And Jesus is clearly about important adult business. He's healing people. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. It's serious stuff. This isn't, this isn't you know, nursery time for, for Jesus just to have some, some time with the, with, with the babies. People don't do that. And it, these, uh, these children and these babies, you see, clearly do not matter to the disciples. All they see is an annoyance. But these children... These babies fundamentally do matter to Jesus. Let me just, guys in the back. We need to realize uh, that children and little babies are precious in the sight of God who created them. That God, uh, Jesus loves little children. The song is absolutely true. Think of how many of his miracles involve um, children, even raising them from the dead. 
In Mark 9, 36, we read that Jesus took a child and placed him in the midst of them and, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever takes one such child in my name receives me. He identifies with, with the, the little ones. Contra, uh, conversely, one of the primary evidences of evil in the world is, is when there is um, a callous heart towards children. I just read a fascinating article that came out last week, New York Times, um, entitled something like San Francisco asks, where have all the children gone? Uh, San Francisco is faced with a problem. There, there are uh, almost no children in the city. Of, of all the cities in, in, in the United States, it has the least percentage. I think 13% are below the age of 18. And uh, there are more dog grooming, um, pet grooming places than schools. And, uh, they're, and they're kind of wondering what to do about that. Uh, people point to the high cost of, of uh, housing, uh, the, the prominent gay lifestyle of San Francisco, and the awful schools as reasons that people just uh, don't want to raise a family there. Well, I think uh, you just find that wherever evil abounds, children suffer. Manasseh, the most wicked king that we find in the Old Testament, it crowned his crimes as, as a king by offering children as sacrifice to the false god Molech. It was, it was the most awful thing. The Bible says something that had never even entered into the mind of God. So evil, so wicked. I think we need to recognize that the abortion holocaust of our day is not just unfortunate. It's the greatest moral stain possible on a nation. The greatest evil of our time, nearly 60 million, 60 million babies have been murdered by their parents since 1973. That's approximately the population of California and New York, the most populous state and the third most populous state. And all of this in the face of what we know to be true. Things that we know now uh, take place in the womb. We can, we can see it. We can take pictures. We can watch it. Um, things that we know now that maybe weren't known in 1973, but, but there's no excuse anymore. Never, not that there, that there was, but there's, there's no excuse. People know what's taking place. Even abortion advocates acknowledge that they realize that an abortion is the death of a human child, their human child. And they boast about it. We just, we just need to recognize that that is, a, that is a profound, profound evil. It's frightening in its wickedness. And, and we need to be clear that such behavior infuriates the living God. Nothing enrages our Lord more than crimes against the least and the helpless, babes created in his image and given life by his design, he being the Lord of life. I'm not saying, obviously, this is the unforgivable sin. It's not. Unrepentance is the unforgivable sin. But it's vastly more wicked than we know. We should tremble as a nation for our crimes and pray that God would give mercy that this could be eradicated from this land. There's no, there's utterly no place in God's creation for such an activity. Now, in the face of 
the hateful evil in our culture, Christians ought to be noteworthy for their love for children. It ought to be, it ought to be astonishing. And, and, and some of you have experienced this as you lead your troop into the, into the grocery store and, and, and people maybe will even ask you, are they all yours? Yes, they are. Praise the Lord. And that's in West Michigan. Try, try take your family somewhere right in California or the East Coast. But that ought to be, that's awesome, right? That, that ought to be the, the, the mark of a Christian community. There should be a love for children, a desire for children. The more the Holy Spirit changes you, the more Christ-like you become, and the more tender you will be towards children. Now, again, I know that some of you long for that and are not able to have children, and that's its own burden. But part of the reason for that burden, you see, is precisely because the Spirit of God, as it works in our lives, we want to have that gift. And whatever your, 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 your case might be, when the Spirit of Christ is in us, we will have the mind of Christ, and, and, and part, of that, part of that mind of Christ will be tenderness towards children. Sinclair Ferguson even says this, we are not real Christians until we share the love of the Lord Jesus for children. And I just want to say to those of you who have adopted or are fostering children, I just want you to know what you are doing is pleasing to the Lord who cares for the young. To our young families who are welcoming the gift of children with open arms. Know that it is pleasing to the Lord. I just am so delighted with the young families of this congregation. Who love their children and are seeking to raise their children in the Lord. One of the most beautiful blessings of God on this congregation is the blessing of children. It's remarkable how God has blessed us with children. And it is a blessing. They are a gift. It is not a reason to boast. It's a reason to weep with joy and give thanks to God that he's given us such an amazing blessing. Jesus loves his covenant children. And the evidence of that is clearly seen in his response to the disciples where we see the Savior's displeasure. We know from Mark's account, chapter 10, 14, that Jesus was furious with these disciples. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant that term can be uh, translated furious, incensed. He's not just a little upset. He's outraged. There's a deep emotional response on Jesus' part to the evil that he is seen displayed in the disciples' behavior. It's the strongest word of rebuke, rebuke we have in the Gospels as, Je as Jesus speaks to his disciples. There are times when he's just amazed they don't get it. Their, their, their spiritual blindness is astonishing to him. There's times he's frustrated by their lack of faith in him, their lack of understanding. But this time he's, he's angry. He's offended. I think we tend to hear these words, let the little children come to me, um, very soft and gentle. But I don't think that's how he spoke them because he's talking not to the children, he's talking to the disciples. We should hear this as a thunderous roar. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. I think that's how he spoke it. How dare you stand between me and my children? Don't you dare hinder them. Don't you dare keep them from the covenant blessing of their covenant God. 
I think we have an Old Testament parallel here in Exodus chapter 4 when another disciple of God, by the, a man by the name of Moses, found himself this far from death in Exodus chapter 4. He's on his way back to Egypt on, by the command of God to do the work of God. And we read uh, verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord, this is pre-incarnate Jesus, met him and sought to put him to death. Okay. He's not happy. Zipporah, Moses' Midianite wife, realizes what's going on, quickly circumcises the children. And the anger of God passes. You see, Moses has kept his children from the blessing that belonged to them. They were God's children and had a right to the covenant sign and seal, and Moses' life is spared only by the action of his wife. This is serious stuff. There's a reason that these children and infants must be uh, allowed access to Jesus and his blessing, and the reason is given by Jesus for to such belong the kingdom of God. That's the reason. In other words, these children have a right to this. The kingdom of God belongs to them and they to it. Now this is where um, people miss the implications of this often because they, they see this story as just a metaphor. I was listening to a sermon of a man that I well respect um, a Baptist minister, and the best, what he did with this text was, was, it, was a, it was a metaphor. And so his first point was, um, Jesus uh, is interested in people on the margins. People that other people think are insignificant, those are, those are people Jesus cares for. Now that's absolutely true, but that's not this story. You see, they see the children as a teaching prop, a visual aid to make a spiritual point, which is what Jesus does in verse 17. I say, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But that's not what he's doing in verse 16. You, you cannot interpret verse 16, so Jesus ends up saying, the kingdom of, of God belongs to such as these, but not actually to these. You can't do that. The Greek here, to such, the, the specific word, that he uses, shows that Jesus is not just talking simply about these specific children, but a category to which those children belong. I was reading a sermon by John MacArthur, who does a, um, a very good job of just exegeting this text, clearly a, a Baptist, but who, who cares about the word and is paying attention to it. And MacArthur says, uh, such as these, the Greek here, such as, uh, to such, means the whole class or the whole category of beings to which these belong. The kingdom of God belongs to these who are in this category. And then he asked the perfect question, what category? What's the category? And MacArthur says, the category of babies. Babies are in the kingdom of God because they're in the category of babies. Children are in the kingdom of God because they're in the category of children. Now that's a valiant effort to make sense of the text without accepting the covenant reality that's there. You got, that category has to be something, but rather than accepting the covenant of Abraham, 
MacArthur has to create a new covenant, the covenant of youth. That, that, that children, and this is what, this is what he'll, he'll teach, and again, I respect the man tremendously, but that children, babies, are, uh, have a special place, uh, they're, they're under a special favor of God by virtue, and this is universally true, by virtue of the fact of being children. And then once they reach an age of accountability, then they move out of that category. Now that is sentimentally appealing. Uh, it just doesn't have biblical basis. I think much better to look and see what's actually going on here. Who is Jesus talking to? Why would Jesus say to such this category? What's the category? The category is covenant children. Notice this is a functioning category for Jesus. When, when uh, the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 comes and says, my daughter's dying and she needs your help, what does Jesus say to the Canaanite woman? He says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And initially refuses to help, and yet she persists, and her faith is so amazing and beautiful. Jesus does what she asks. And so Jesus, God is not bound in that sense to his covenant, but, but this is a functioning category for our Savior. The category is covenant children. It's a functioning category for Jesus. You see, what Jesus is doing here is reaffirming the words he spoke to Abraham 2,000 years before, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. That was Jesus talking then. It's Jesus talking now. His word has not changed just doesn't change. The grass may wither and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And friends, that's our warrant for baptizing covenant infants. They are the God-given offspring of covenant homes, and they have the God-given warrant for the covenant blessing. Jesus says, let them come to me, do not hinder them. So Ferguson says, Spurgeon didn't believe that children should be baptized because children can't make a decision for Jesus. But what this passage is saying is that Jesus has made a decision for the children. And it's his decision that counts. And this is why we baptize our children, because Jesus said the kingdom belongs to them. The kingdom belongs to these covenant children and they to it, and therefore it's right and necessary for Christian parents to come to Jesus with their children seeking his covenant blessing. It's a wonderful text. Isn't it kind of God to be a covenant God? Isn't it kind of God to care about your children? Isn't it kind of God to, a, to be willing to shower his, his covenant favor on our children? It's, it's a, if you're a Christian parent, it's, it's the most precious thing imaginable. But now notice how Jesus applies this. We'll wrap this up. Jesus says, truly I say to you, verse 17, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus now turns and addresses the crowd. They thought they were just in the audience. Um, they were watching. It was great theater. Uh, here's the great teacher just dressing down his disciples publicly in front of everyone. It, it, was, it was enjoyable to watch. But now suddenly the teacher turns and faces them and says, truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You see, Jesus is now challenging them because, because you see, the error that the crowd is making, it, it's the error the Pharisee made, it's the error the young ruler made, is thinking that their covenant membership is their, is their ticket into the kingdom. That they're going to be received on the last day to the banquet feast of Abraham because they're Jew, they're Jewish. 
And Jesus turns and says to these covenant people, yes, children belong to the covenant community and have right to the covenant signs and seals, to the the covenant blessing, but the kingdom is not entered without faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the Jew, uh, unless you're born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You see, the kingdom belongs, right, to children, but it is entered by the faith, the neediness of a child. Where when people come, like the publican comes and casts himself on the Lord, pleading nothing but his need and receiving the, the blessings that come by grace, not by ethnicity. Not by covenant membership. There are far too many people in the church who think that because a covenant belongs to infants, to babies, that that, that therefore um, there's nothing more they need do. It's not true. You need to be born again. Our children need to be born again. That's why when the parents come up, we're going we're gonna to be asking and, and calling the parents to make oaths, promises, to pray for their children, to minister the gospel to their children because our children need Jesus. They desperately need Jesus. But Jesus here is speaking to parents. Parents, the Lord is looking to you this morning and says, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Jesus cares about that because he cares about you, but he also cares about the children in your home if he's given them to you. One of the greatest obstacles to children coming to the faith is a, is, a, is a mom or a dad or both who are maybe religious but don't know Jesus. How many people in the community, in this world, grew up in a church and then just walked away because it was clearly evident to them that mom and dad cared nothing about it? And you become the greatest obstacle possible in the life of your child. They're watching you and they're deciding that it's all a game because that's how you treat it. Ferguson says, if your heart does not go out to your child for their spiritual blessing, if you're not willing to be a part of that blessing, you can be sure that the Lord Jesus is indignant with you. He cares about his kids. He cares about how we treat them. Do you care for your God-given child, your God-given children? Do you care the way Jesus cares? Does your heart go out to them? Do you long for them? And are you willing then to turn from your Your sin, are you willing to go to Jesus? Are you willing to be a gospel parent, to be someone who needs the Lord in front of your children? Confessing your sin, acknowledging that Jesus is your only hope, are you willing to walk out in the truth of the gospel in front of your children? I pray that that's true, and if it's not true, then Christ calls you to repent today. These are not games. It's the most serious thing that you will do if if God has called you to be a parent. But for all of the covenant community, our children are watching. There's 100 and, I don't know, 250 of them around here. You can't hide. They're watching you. They want to know how elder so-and-so talks to people. They want to see how he, take, how he pays attention to the needy people. They, they, they're going to watch how husbands and wives, moms and dads relate to each other and how they relate to their kids. I think it's great how many uh, of you open your homes on Sundays and other kids can come over, but, but they're watching you. And they're seeing if it adds up. Do what these people say they believe, does that make a difference in, in how they live? They're learning from us.
And Jesus cares for his kids. And so we all have an, a calling and responsibility to be needy people ourselves, to, to boast in nothing but Jesus, to be people who, who manifest that the, the way into the kingdom of God is not by being a good person. The way into the kingdom of God is by being a needy person who comes to Jesus Christ and leans on him and loves him. May God grant that to be true of us. Let's bow our head in prayer. God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his love for children. And Lord God, I thank you for the blessing you've given us here of so many children. It is a good thing, and we, we delight in it. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrament of baptism, where as covenant parents now come to receive the covenant sign and seal that belongs to their children by virtue of the promise of God. Lord, may we delight in your love for us and for our children and, and your covenant faithfulness. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.